three, four, five, let's go! to you from the plastic microphone studios deep in the heart of cajun country this is faith five from bands i'm your host jamie ray and i'd like to thank you for joining us we've got a show out there for all of you in the podcast universe that you'll just have to adapt to jay hall of the okie Bookcast is zooming in to discuss our five favorite book adaptations josimity is a <clears throat> jay is a lifelong oklahoma person a lifelong lover of books, a lifelong, no, he's not, that's a lot of lives. Anyway, a college dean and now a published author. See, I told you I knew you were a dean. You crushed it. Yeah. His book, God Help Me, I'm a Young Man, 10 Essentials for Becoming the Dad Your Kids Need, is available for purchase right now on Amazon.com. And if you have the Kindle premium thing where you're like, I guess, pay a little bit extra or something and they give you some stuff, you can read it for free, but you can't get the autographed free Kindle version. I'm just, I've tried it. It, it doesn't work out. It's hard to get the ink off my screen. He is a five time guester. Yes, that's right. It means Correct. you get your smoking jacket. Look for it coming in the mail. He is broadcasting from the OKC, where he empty nests with his wife, a revolving cast of adult children, and he occasionally dog sits. So I'd like to take a minute to say, we feel you, brother. You need a hug? Yeah, I got a good. I'm good. I don't, I don't know what a long distance Zoom hug looks like, but I'm afraid. How We, we, we can figure it out. Good. Yep. But, yeah, there you uh, go. No, I'm good, man. I'm good. Welcome back to the show, Jay. <laughs> if anybody's still listening, hey, it's great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Usually sleeping by now. Yeah, I'm. I'm very excited to get my five timers jacket straight from smoking uh, jacket. Smoking cool, obviously. Yes, obviously. Yeah, it's, and then you can turn it inside out, and it's a seersucker too. So you know, there you go. Just in case. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Jay, we have been together. We've done this five times now we have we did faith five aliens faith five mcu moments faith five tv dads through the 80s and as many day dad jokes as you can stand so many dad jokes so many dad jokes and we just wrapped up faith five book endings which is episode 94 which by the time you hear this which if i've done my math correctly will be episode 103 oh wow Ooh, nice nice thank you well done you i think four people have heard an episode so you know i don't know it's just <laughs> it's tough it's tough in the it's tough in the summer nobody wants to podcast you know you gotta have the uh, from fans completionist like there's gotta right. be some kind of award for people who have endured i mean listen to all 100 oh. episodes 
Yeah, I do. You know, speaking of, I need to give a special shout out to Kathy B, who is a huge Sherlock Holmes fan, and she's an Auburn fan. I don't know if that means anything to you with your OKC people and whatnot, but she recently found the show. Strange enough, she's been tweeting to me or Xing to me or whatever you call it now that she likes the show and has listened to episodes. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, Kathy, thank you for being number 16. (laughs) The numbers just keep climbing. (laughs) That double digits was a big day. What? Who, Lord? Oh my God. But we do it because we love it, not because we, uh, I can't think of any reason to do it. No, we just love it. I'm here for the smoking jacket. <laughs> it's on the way. Be looking for it. Keep saying that. <laughs> so <clears throat> this is kind of like a bookend episode. Huh? Huh? Whatever. Because we did our book endings, which was a lot of fun. And now we're doing book adaptations. Yeah. So what we kind of decided to do is that any type of book turned into any type of media. So it could be a comic book turned into a movie. It could be a a book book turned into a a cartoon. It can be a paperback turned into a funny little hat for your dog to wear. Any of those things would work on this show. And I've got to say, I'm kind of up in the head. Was this one your idea? Or book endings um, was mine. It gets fuzzy. It, ha- it has to be that way because I would never have done. That was the most stressful thing I've ever done was talk about book endings. Yeah. So that had to oh, have been. Sorry. Because I, I was muted. Oh, no. We know. <laughs> I would never have come up with that on my. It was fun. It was a great conversation. But, uh, but yeah. It really, it really bothered you to. Uh, it did. To yeah, to to spoil or or to try hard not to spoil not to when you're try. talking about the end of a book. <laughs> it feels so. kind of impossible, right? <laughs> but we did it. We did it. Um so anyway. And if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the other one, you can go back and you can, you know, you can listen to both of them. So there you go. You're welcome. So now or, we that episode by saying that that episode contains spoilers. Yes, it does. Oh, you are so on it. It's insane. Meta. You're meta. That's, Indeed, that's why you're the dean. But not the Zuckerberg thing. Just meta. <laughs> the X. What is happening? I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> so I tasked you to come up with a list of five of your favorite book adaptations. And as always, you were giving some honorable mentions. Yeah. Did you take advantage of those honorable mentions? You know, I did. All right. And how many of those honorable mentions did you have? Uh, uh, Two-ish. I almost stayed within the rules. So uh, you're not, you're not a a dean of math is what we're hearing. Not actually (laughs) at all. Well, listen, we have chit chatted and gone on and on and on about this. Oh, actually, I think we're four minutes in. Never mind. God, it feels Why don't we, you know, let's, let's get crazy. Let's go to the honorable mentions. Crazy talk. Crazy, right? All right. So my, I'm not going to write this down either, by the way. What are you not? not I'm not going to write down what your list is. Okay. You know, so just saying my crayons broke. (laughs) 
<laughs> I would loan you a crayon through the screen, but again, we can't figure the hug thing out either. All right. So my first honorable mention is um, a comic graphic novel that was adapted to a television series, but not really. So the oh, first yeah. is HBO's the Bible. Wife. No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Gosh. Sorry, mom. Um, <laughs> HBO's Watchmen. So incredible, fantastic television series created from an equally incredible and fantastic graphic novel. But the television series chose not to recreate the graphic novel, but rather to use the world it created to tell a wholly different story, which is kind of a fascinating clever way to do it because you know watchmen have been adapted as a film it didn't do great and it wasn't really a great adaptation but to take the world that's been created to kind of have some of those characters move in and out of it but to tell a very different story uh it's clever it's incredibly well done and part of the reason it made my list is because most of it was shot in tulsa oklahoma and it's set in tulsa oklahoma so just up the road from where i am now um and one of the really interesting things to me, at least, uh, and to lots of folks, the beginning of the series shows the Greenwood um, massacre and, and burning that went on in, in the Black Wall Street area in Tulsa in the 1920s. And for a whole lot of people, this was the very first time you knew that event happened. Really? Yeah. So it and it's it's done in a way it's harrowing the way that they shot it and put it together and feels very real for those of us who know the history and, and kind of know what's going on. But I don't know how many people I've talked to, including people who grew up in Oklahoma, that that was the first time they knew that happened. In fact, really? they, about, um, they would talk about this incredible scene at the beginning of Watchmen. And then you say, well, you know, that's real like that, that took place and just blew people's minds. So it's, it is far enough removed from the graphic novel that you don't have to know the graphic novel to appreciate it. But if you do, know the the story of the comic of alan moore's comic it's just it's fantastic incredibly well done for whatever reason they only did one season mm -hmm. uh, but but the, man that one season is worth it it's incredible so i never watched it but off the top of my head isn't ozymandias in it too he shows up kind of Kind yeah. of. Okay. Okay. He's, right, he's but, there, but not in the same way that he was in the the comic. But this takes a place to like in the sixties. No, in the eighties. Um, I think it takes place a little bit in the future. Oh, really? See, I know nothing about this thing. The graphic novel takes place in the eighties. Comic series. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> this. Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> I've been holding that in, man. I've just been holding that in. <laughs> out of your system now. Um. But the uh, the show, I think, is actually a little bit into the future. I think you're right. Thirty four years after the comic series, so it's. I think, I think that would be 2019's Tulsa. If I if my math is correct, but I, I don't. Wikipedia I don't know. Are best friends. I am not on Wik. Oh, I am. Never mind. <laughs> so I I guess, and, and I'm not going to put you on the spot, even though I seem to do it every episode. I've been told. A lot, yeah. Um. How is this an adaptation of a book? Is it just because they take the the world that they created and do another one? Because honestly, it sucks. I mean, I just, this is like, oh, 
horrible, horrible no. choice. No, sorry. God, first time listeners heard. are just going to be like, this guy is a jerk. They're not wrong, but this guy is a jerk. Remember, what is it about it that makes, seriously, that makes you like yeah. it more than you say like the, the movie? Yeah, I think some of it may be, and, and this, if you're a, a book nerd like like I absolutely am, you always struggle with adaptations because you have a picture in your head of what it ought to be. Mm-hmm. I think some of why I appreciate the series more than the film is that I know what I feel like the film needs to look and be like. And in, in this case, because of the comic series, it um, you have a visual representation of it. So it's not even just... I've created it in my head, but you actually get to see it. And so I think some of my struggle with the film was that it just didn't capture that same heat that, that Watchmen had. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I couldn't really put my finger on why, Mm -hmm. but the, the television series, and you're right. It's not obviously an adaptation of, of anything that was created by the original creators. Yes. You hear that everyone? I was right. Hold on. Let me put this on my calendar. You said you weren't writing anything down. Remember? Um, Right. But I blood. taking one of the things that you can can do, and, and I think this is really an interesting move, is to take that world, mm-hmm. bring those characters in and out of it. You, you mentioned Ozymandias, some of the others, but telling a wholly different story that is a logical progression of where things went from there. So it's almost like the, the comic series didn't really get a sequel. I mean, there's some other things that kind of happened around it, but if it had, this might be what it looks like. Oh, cool. Well, I, I read some of the after Watchmen comics, okay. but I don't believe that those, they go into this world. No, I think it really no. just kind of wrapping up. And I think it, even though it's after Watchmen, they tell some stories from before. Oh, right. Because the together timelines too. in the, the story, the timelines in the comics are kind of all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And that was Regina King was, and I seriously knew that without looking it up because okay. Yeah, was she a police officer that turns superhero? Okay, all right, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I will have to watch that one day. I, I don't have it. I recommend um, it. It's good. Okay. Well, on your recommendation, then I'll do it. Yeah. Now you can blame me if you don't love it, but you will. Oh, I will blame you either way. Um, and on your recommendation, I recommend you tell me what your other sixteen, or I'm sorry, other honorable mention is ish. So this is um. Uh, <laughs> This will blow you. This is a category, but there's only <laughs> yeah, right. Are you tired yet? But there's only two in it, and I promise I'm going to be fast because these are two adaptations that have just started. Okay. So, um, Sandman, so another comic series uh, that Netflix has done, Neil Gaiman Sandman, and the other is uh, a novel called Silo by Hugh oh, Howie. Oh, on on Apple TV, right? TV. I really want to see that. I love both of these source materials. I mean, Sandman is yeah. maybe the best comic anything I've ever read. Um, Silo is a fantastic series. It's a set of three novels, actually. Um, and so I was really excited for both adaptations. They both happened to hit at about the same time. They're only one season in, but man, have they crushed it. Really? So Sandman is again it's the problem of adapting comics to the screen but uh gaiman is one of the executive producers he's you know creative consultant and i'm telling you the imagery that they use in this first season of sandman is perfect 
and there's you know some noise about well the characters aren't you know the same color or the same gender or whatever that they are in the comics whatever that didn't matter um but the characterizations um the the things that go on it is deeply emotional it is brilliantly done it is every bit as dark as the comics but at the same time has that kind of thread of hopefulness that goes all the way through sandman um i mean i sat down and crushed through that thing in no time at all and silo is the same way it's a little bit less true to the book because of some timeline timeline problems that mm-hmm. you know, book jumps around a lot and that's harder to do in a television series without making people crazy um but what's really cool about what they did with silo so silo just very quickly is um post-apocalyptic 10,000 people living in a silo that's 150 stories tall underground okay and so you have this incredible world and culture that howie has created and they have absolutely replicated it i mean perfection's a big word but they have replicated it to every expectation i would have in the the set design in the the complications of moving up and down the staircase they don't have an elevator so if you were oh wow it takes a minute um and and there's implications of that and in the novel you get those implications that you know if you're going to go down to the bottom and come back up it takes a couple of days and all of that is also played out in the show so they're just getting started uh, and that's why they're honorable mentions instead of in the five but um absolutely worth starting the ride with and i can't wait to see where it goes from here so again almighty google says that there are 11 episodes of sandman and they're all released already yes they're all out okay okay and silo is in its first season right well they're both in their first season because so the first the 11 episodes of sandman get through about the second comic if i remember right oh wow yeah so there's a lot more to come all right all right and then silo is three books so i guess after they do that if it's really going well they can expand on it yeah then oh. you, you do the unfortunate game of thrones thing and start making up the end and yeah. <laughs> oh the purple wedding oh my god i was just <laughs> watching scenes I'm, I'm working on a list of the uh favorite moments of games of thrones right now that's tough yeah Oof. i can't imagine wow wow well those those are two good choices there well, it's go. one good choice and one kind of, but I'm not going to tell you which, so that you'll stay up at night with the pillows and you got the curtain, you got the the curtain, I'm you good. got the covers up around your chin. What I did he mean? What did he mean? Mm-hmm. All right, you got right. two. I, I my my mine are very honorable, very honorable. I'll be the judge and of that. I'm going to switch the order that I had them in. Just because I think you deserve it because they in no particular order. My first honorable mention is the Watchmen movie based on the Watchmen comic book series that was turned into a graphic novel that someone made a TV series that had nothing to do with the original source material, except for the That's why you're salty about it. Okay. That's exactly why I'm salty. (laughs) Um, so. No, to, to, okay. So starting over, I actually loved the the movie. Okay, I thought it was a good adaptation because the comic book can only live in your mind. 
There okay. are so many things that happen in that comp. Yeah. Not the ending itself, notwithstanding. Okay. When I read that way before I even, they were even thought about, or they were even thinking about making it into a movie. When I read that, I was like, there is no way you could do this and, and have it look, you know, it right. doesn't make sense in a three dimensional world. Plus, you add to that the tales of the Black Freighter and the little kid and how things are mirroring what's going on. It would have looked weird. So are there things in there that don't match up 100%? Okay. It's Owlman. (laughs) Um, So fit that it makes you sick. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. But there are so many things that stood out for me. Um least of which was Jackie Earl Haley's performance. Oh, okay. I thought he improved on what was in the comic book by bringing it to life in a way that, okay, I could see this guy happening. You know, I I really could. Um, Silk Spectre, um, Lord Jupiter is, you know, an amazing lady. And what's her name? Malin Ackerman is a beautiful woman. It just didn't feel right. But if you bumped up Owlman like they did, and then you get this Silk Spectre too, like you did, okay, they kind of go together. So therefore, it's a good adaptation of it. Sure, yeah. Okay. Now, was it was it you know by the source material? Was it you know did it lay out that it had the same? Pay? No, 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 no. Okay, that's fine. But, and we're setting this down now early, like you did just a minute ago. This is how we enjoyed the adaptation, how it's a favorite, not how closely did it go to the book. Yeah. And, and I want to make sure everybody understands that because this is, there's going to be things on here that you're going to go like, oh yeah, but the ending was totally different. Or <laughs> like you just said, oh, but it's a, it's a girl in the book and now it's a guy. Right. Doesn't matter. Did we like the way that they took that material and put it on the screen or vice versa or whatever for us? And the Watchmen movie is one of mine, especially if you're really, I mean, you like like pop like one of those big, big, big bags of popcorn and get like a two liter Coke. And you watch the uncut version with Zack Snyder standing there talking to you about it. Oh yeah. It's nuts, you know? And then you follow it up with the DVD that, our buddy, my buddy Cody Chamberlain worked on for the Tales of the Black Freighter. You you just get all of this immersive stuff. But could it have worked if you took the exact material and put it on screen? No. So I agree with that. That's why I think it's a good yeah. adaptation. That's why it's one of my favorites. My other favorite, I like just because I loved it from the day that I got it on cassette. Oh wow. Okay with never a thought that it could be turned into a movie or, or a, a, a series. And I'm talking about Stephen King's, the mist in 3d sound. Yeah. Now there's a little fuzziness on the internet as to, did it come out first as just an immersive 3d sound cassette or did it come out in a book and then they put it on my dollar goes to, I think he put this out just as a, as a sound piece first, and then it did get adapted and then it moved on. So I think the adaptation of the movie 
was fantastic. Yeah. I, I loved it. They took a story that was closed end. Okay. It, it like goes off into, and you have no idea. I shouldn't say closed end. It was open end. You have no idea what's causing all of this, what's going to happen to them, all of these things. And they turned it into this, this huge, expansive, full of all of these characters bringing to life, you know, people like, um, Jim Grondon, the, uh, the William Sadler character, um, of course, Andre Brower as the, the neighbor, you know, and Marsha K. Harden as Mrs. Uh, Carmody, just nutso to the nutso. But of all of those people, David Drayton to me was the, I don't like to use, I, I won't use the T word was the best adaptation of the character because, and I'm going to tell you, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this movie, don't blame me. I hated the ending of the movie. Okay. Hated it with a passion. Walked out of that movie, just spitting visceral and vile. And, and it took me literally a couple of years to realize how incredible that ending was and the fact that i it doesn't change the the story of the 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 original you know and the movie just added these layers to it and i think what was i was mad about was the fact that they ended it without it being a quote-unquote happy ending and then it just got kind of turned into a you know kaiju fighting type you know thing but then when it sat on me and it kind of percolated literally for a couple of years i realized wow that was that was actually really incredible so and did now you, i love it did you watch it again that made not for you years it or you just as nope. you were thinking about it at- not for years oh. I, I i think it had been in my head and so when i finally said you know i do need to give this another and i rewatched it in the black and white version Okay. Which I, I thought I would love. And I didn't love it as much, even though the, the movie doesn't have a lot of bright colors, except in the beginning when the sun comes out and all of that. But watching it there and seeing it at the end, that whole, um, you know, uh, the mountains of the madness type, you know, Lovecraftian creatures and all of that really be go wow and then not too long like maybe not even a month later i turned around and rewatched it again and then i had settled it yep no this is a good adaptation this is this is taking something that i love and putting it and they made it their own and i've got to re- remember that it doesn't change my experience from right. the because i used to sit in bed with that you know on a, in a walkman with headphones on and just listen to it. Cause it was so awesome the way they did the sound. Um, and this was just a whole different experience. So anyway, that's interesting. My, my daughter and I just had this conversation because we separately watched, um, knock at the cabin, which is mm. in Shyamalan's adaptation of Paul Tremblay's cabin at the end of the world, which is a novel we both loved. Oh, okay. And she, saw the movie in the theater and left angry like you did because of what he did to the ending. And so when she heard that I was going to watch it, we were kind of talking about it. I was like, I, I try to remember that um, these are two separate experiences. 
right? That that the book is a thing and the movie is a thing or the TV show or whatever is separate. And if I can do that now, sometimes they do things that I'm like, nope, that just doesn't make any sense in the, the world that's been created. But most of the time I can separate those two things out and say, okay, I can appreciate the film for what it is, even though it's not what I would have chosen or it's not what I remember from the book. And the book is its own thing. And I can enjoy both differently. Right. If that's the decision that the director and the screenwriter make as they're adapting these things. Yeah. Now, there are some that make me angry, but. Right. Keep that in mind. And I think, and I don't want to ageism to anybody, you know, younger, but I think that is definitely something that comes to you with, with older age. Oh, sure. Because, yeah, because it doesn't change how we feel about it because that's not the movie or the, the series or the song that we loved so much. Who cares if, you know, M- Miley Cyrus goes and redoes a song and we hate, think it's horrible. Well, then I just won't listen to that song when it comes on. I'll go listen to the original song that I loved so much. And I think that kind of helped me a lot when yeah. I sat down and realized it's actually a cool ending. If it had been any other movie and I wasn't comparing it, I would have been like, holy crap, HP's right. in the house. Right. But, you know, so anyway, that's that's going to be my honorable mentions. That's French, by the way. So international. <laughs> so international. I've never been to Italy and uh, had, um, I don't know, wine on the Champs-Élysées like you have. Not in Italy. Uh, whatever (laughs) (laughs) okay we got that out of the way i think we can i I think we're positive i am positive that we're ready to hear your number five okay so wait a minute though there's one other thing (laughs) (laughs) so i will see your stephen king and bring you one of my own how about that do it my number five is Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, which became the Shawshank Redemption, the film uh, by Stephen King. Yes. I, I love this story. This is one of the few times where I say, you know what? I think the film wins. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Strong words. No, I've actually got a couple of these in, oh, in this. Oh, I bring it. Coming from me, that's that's a lot. I guess if I can't hug you, I can't punch you. So oh, that's go, fair. You feel free. Yeah, pass crayon. There's so many things. So Shawshank Redemption uh, is the story of a man named Andy Dufresne who is wrongly accused and convicted of uh, murdering his wife and her lover and ends up in prison, Shawshank prison, um, meets a man named Red, who in the film is played by Morgan Freeman. Andy Dufresne is played by Tim Robbins. Um, and you really, sure that wasn't Chris Rock <laughs> that played Andrew Dufresne. Yeah, I'm absolutely sure. No, who played Red? I, I could swear you. Uh, never mind. I, yeah, it's that's no. not good. Uh, some alternate reality that you found yourself falling into. Um, and and Red has has been there. He's a lifer. He's been there longer than than Andy, and kind of takes him under his wing and shows him the ropes and. The the film and the, the story are this really stark picture of prison life. Um, it's unflinching in a lot of ways, but 
because Andy has a background in finance, he becomes useful to the warden who has gotten under the books, off the books operation going on with some money coming in and out and using prison labor and things like this. Um, And Andy becomes the accountant for this operation. Well, one of the privileges this gets him is the ability to hang a poster on his wall of, uh, in the case of the the story, Rita Hayworth, in the film, it changes over time. And he uses that poster to cover up the tunnel he's digging to escape from the prison. And so over time, uh, he finally manages to escape. And in the film, the sequence that Darabont creates of Andy's escape juxtaposed with the warden figuring out that he's gone and also figuring out that he is exposed, that all the books and all the other things that he's done have been released. And you have this just fantastic um, shots of, of Dufresne escaping and getting out. And, you know, the iconic when he he comes out into the, you know, bar ditch basically and, and throws his arms up to the sky juxtaposed with the warden shooting himself in his office because the cops are there and he knows it's about to go down. So this picture of a man who's been in prison now becoming free and a guy who thought he was always in charge getting his is just fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's an incredible adaptation. It's incredible. You can, I'm gushing. It's an incredible film. Uh, it's a little bit different at the end because, you know, at the end of the, um, at the end of the, book we don't know that they ever reconnect in mexico and things like that at the end of the film you see red walking up to andy next to his boat in mexico and they i assume sail up into the sunset together oh um, i know so so sweet after all the things that you've seen and endured in this movie um but just if if you've seen shawshank redemption it is like every list it's in the top 10 films of the 20th century and should be uh, but have never read the short story, I would really encourage you to go find that short story and read it because um, I think you'll appreciate the film even more. I I can't agree enough that it is a wonderful, wonderful movie and adaptation. Um, and I mean, it's got some wonderful posters uh, in the, you know, that's can't, can't, can't say enough. Uh, amazing performances. Like I was just, Bob Gunton is probably, now everybody loves what was that guy's name? Morgan Freed Freeland? What? Yeah. Freeman? Something like that. Yeah. That guy. He's he was pretty good at that movie. He probably could could do something if he really tried. Um, but Bob Gunton was amazing in that film. Yeah, it's just you wanted to hate him so much. But one thing I did want to say because I really, really don't remember. So you said he was unjustly sent to prison. So he didn't kill them? Who Indeed. did? I don't think we ever know. Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I he think. Can- we, gosh, now we're getting ready to get exposed. I, if I remember right, um, you know that he didn't do it, mm-hmm. but it's never made clear who did. Do you think it was his little sister? What are you talking about? You know, from the night the lights went out in Georgia, because sister don't miss what she aims. Uh, uh, okay. Anyway, perfect. never mind. What's happening. <laughs> so that book what was that called four seasons i think it's in four seasons yeah yeah so it's it's that it's um oh god 
three of the four stories have become movies. And the last one, which was the breathing method, I think they're making that into a movie. Really? But yeah. So it wasn't night shift, maybe apt pupil. If only there was a way for us to figure these out. We had all the information in the world right in the palm of our hands. Right. But you look really nice in that light, by the way. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely not your phone that you're you're looking at. Phone that I'm looking at right now. Uh, uh-uh, no, no, that's not it. It's just the natural glow. Are the four that are in different seasons: Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, Apt Pupil, which mm-hmm. yes, became a film, uh, The Body, which became Stand by Me. Ah, uh, Stand by Me, right. And then yeah, the last one's the Breathing Method. Breathing yeah. Method. Yeah, I think they're trying to turn that into a, a movie. Which you remember that story? Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, that was that was creepy. Oh, all right. Well, I guess then if you and your high mighty Stephen King number five, I guess my number five should be a Stephen King too. No way. And it is. Mine is based on the amazing novel. First published in 1978 called The Stand. Yes, sir. And, And as much as I love that version in 1990 it was reprinted as the complete and uncut edition where he restored over 400 pages to it that sucker weighs like 25 pounds and you have to have a permit to have that book because it's so but if if you've ever seen and i'm talking about i'm not talking about the hbo show i'll i will tell you even in this this new world where i have all these great fangled ideas so that i can love what i wanted to love and don't have to compare it. I heard so many bad things about it. Yeah. That I just couldn't, couldn't do it. But for me, literally from the moment it comes on and you've got that, don't fear the reaper and you're, you're just pain, You're seeing it through the eyes of a surveillance camera. And there's all of these dead people and everything from that moment until the very end I absolutely love it. Even the hand, the finger of God. Okay. As bad as it looked, that's a perfect example of when I read it, I thought I can never, I I don't know how they would ever do this on the screen. And I was right because it, it looks hokey, you know, but with that aside, there were so many amazing performances in this movie. Yeah. You know, the least of which for me was uh, Matt Frewer, you know, as uh, the rat man. Was it rat man right, or yeah. something like that? Yeah. Uh, man, I just trash can man. That's what it was. Trash can man. That whole when he's out in the desert and, and his face is just getting burned. And it's, it's all for you. Right. Yeah, man. And, you know, you talk about things that, that get into you. Um, like that become part of your lexicon m-o-o-n that spells moon i do that probably once a week it's just (laughs) i i i don't know it's just so so into me and and the whole thing is great i actually have it on um on dvd and i will probably pull it out and watch it maybe at least once a year because you could just put it on and at any point you look up you know where you are you know, and there's 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 nothing wrong with that movie except the hand of God um, that I don't like. So there you go. That's going to be my number five. P 
preparing your Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank prediction, I will be making the stand. Well done. I I think the stand is a great, and, and this happens with so much King stuff, um, where everybody wants to try. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, the same thing happened with The Shining, right? There, there is one version of The Shining, and people can believe whatever they need to believe, but Kirby's <laughs> version of The Shining is The Shining, and all these other things we tried to do, okay, fine, great, congratulations, you you made it, but it just, there's something about those originals, those attempts that that didn't feed off of anything else, or, and I think this happened some with The Shining, we're try, weren't trying so hard to not be the thing that already existed that mm-hmm. it lost some of what what makes it great. So yeah, The Stand, I mean, you watch it and and it's it's dated because it was it is. a particular time and place, but it still works, right? It's still mm-hmm. just, it just works. So it's a good one. Oh, good thank one. you. So I will, I will have to, I'm, I'm going to ask you this. And even though, you know, the, say for example, that there was another version of The Shining starring maybe someone who had been on that TV show wings. Wouldn't you think that the ending of that one would have looked so much better in the Kubrick film where it was so much closer to the ending with the boiler going and all the other stuff. I I just, I I did again, not not dissing it. I don't want all the the Kubrick fans to overrun the show. Yeah. Just the fact that he just freezes, just sitting out there. I mean, it it kind of at the end was just, but the boiler going, you know, the way that it, yeah, it's a more explosive ending. Clever. I I do think though that image of Jack Nicholson is so iconic. It is. You can almost. I I know exactly what you're saying, but it's there's just something about him you know, freezing and, and just being there and that kind of last shot that you're like, okay, I can forgive all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on, there's a bear in it. What, you know, what oh, else can you ask for? Stephen King didn't forgive him apparently, but <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> the rest of us can forgive Kubrick for it. <laughs> is there only those two versions or is there a third that I don't, I think there's a third. Oh. There's those two. I know that. Yeah. The Stephen Weber version. Um, I think there's another one. I think, what was it? Rebecca de Mornay. I think it was the wife. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Well, we won't talk about it because it doesn't exist. (laughs) It's sad. Let's talk about your number four favorite adaptation of a book or TV series or comic book or paint by numbers book or a coloring book or a panel book. My numbers. My number four is going back a little ways. A novel that was written in 1972. Ooh. Yeah. Um, that was um, adapted to a cartoon for the screen in 1978 that traumatized an entire generation of children whose parents thought they were taking them to a movie about bunnies. No way. Watership Down? Watership Down. Dude, that's that's a good pick. Watership Down, for those of you who may not have quite had the chance and you should uh, written in 1972 by a man named Richard Adams, who this was a series of bedtime stories or stories. He told his daughters as they were like walking and can they, daddy tell us a story. And he invented this whole world of rabbits who um, were not wascally. They were not wascally. Well, some of them were, um, <laughs> but had, but he invented this entire culture. He invented language. He, there are good guys and bad guys. 
Um, there's a whole religion that he invents and, and creates in this book. Uh, but the the bottom line is a, a set of rabbits in this warren, one of them has a vision that they're all going to die because developers are going to come and take the land away. When they take the land away, they're just going to get rid of the rabbits because they don't want them around. Um, and so some of the people in the warren believe it. Some of the people, some of the rabbits in the warren believe it and leave with him and some stay behind. And I'm telling you, one of the most harrowing things that childhood me ever saw harrowing i i see what you did there is the scene thank you is the scene where the developers come in and gas and block off the exits to the rabbit warren and gas them oh and it's just bunnies everywhere and they no bunny gets out no bunny gets out they spare like nothing in this wow. because it wasn't meant for kids yeah, yeah. Not for kids. Uh, but I I know, and I was going back and reading a little bit about it, like parents were furious. Yeah. Saturday afternoon, we're going to take our kids to the bunny movie, and very quickly bunnies start dying. And not wow. just dying, but like dying, they're, they don't spare the blood, they don't spare the violence. Um, you know, they have to deal with predators, they have to deal with, and, and the the book and the film, I mean, they get into things like totalitarianism, right? And, you know, there's a, a Warren that is ruled by General Woundwort, who is just this gigantic evil rabbit that has a reign of terror and you don't go against him because he will kill you. Wow. Um, there are rabbits who choose a life of basically slavery. And there's a whole conversation that goes on about that because they're being fed by this farmer. And why would they ever leave? Right. Um, but you have in it these these rabbits who are heroic. You have, you know, the the hero that kind of rises up who's not seen as the big strong one. Um, everybody kind of has a role. And it's it's an incredible conversation about society. It's an incredible culture that's built. It's beautifully done. It's very yes. simple. That you know, 70s animation, kind of the, the Lord of the Rings, the BBC did the same way. Very simple, but it is gorgeous. The way they use color, the way they they use movement, um, just all the choices that get made. Uh, it is a fantastic adaptation, fairly true to the book. The book's much longer, obviously, than the film, but um, you know the events and things like that that go on are are very true to what happens in the book. And just again, both of them are fantastic. And I'll say this about all of them: uh, see the film read the book, just know that if you're going to see the film uh, and your young one walks in the room because there are bunnies on the screen, go ahead and move them on because they are going to be very traumatized fairly wow. quickly. Wow. And I just have to throw out that LaFonda's has some amazing rabbit enchiladas. If you ever make it down to Lafayette, I will take you. They are <laughs> scrumptious. I don't know where to go with that one. <laughs> well, that's a great pick. Not even on my radar. I will tell you, I probably saw it once really? and I do remember it being vicious. I mean, oof, but so it was on, it was on HBO at a time when I was probably 11 or 12 and, mm -hmm. and they, they would run it during the day and so <laughs> we'd come home from school and I don't know how many times we watched Watership Down, but it was wow. probably too many. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, just, and you know, at, at 12, I wasn't catching on that. Oh, they're commenting on totalitarian and all that. But still, there was just something about it that was was captivating, probably because it was violent and I was 12. Yeah. And there were bunnies. There yeah. were bunnies. Yeah. Like bunnies. Wow. Well, 
I have an equally violent favorite for my number four. It's amazing how we're pairing up like this. It really is. Um, Mine is based off of a comic book, not a graphic novel, but it was later turned in because that's what they do is they take comic books and they put them together and it, you know, it actually becomes a trade paperback. But anyway, you're, you, you don't need to know all this. All you need to know is that in 1989, James O'Barr puts out a story about Eric. Well, I don't even know. I guess they do call him Eric Draven, whose fiance dies at the hands of a junk driver. And he makes a pact basically with the, the spirit of vengeance, I guess is a good way for regular people to understand it. And he comes back and he basically can't die amazing series i've met james obar a couple times and i've talked to him the movie adaptation was incredible and if you know anything about comics then you know the story bruce lee's son brandon lee was chosen to be the main character he was amazing in the film uh sadly he was killed on set with a quote unquote blank that was shot into his stomach, I believe. And he died from internal wounds and, and bleeding before. Um, it's just, it's, it's the world, the first movie. Now that afterwards they go kind of awry pretty quickly, but that first one, you can't, if you know anything about it, you can't not watch that movie and just think, wow, you know, what, what am I seeing here? You know, the, 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 and the, again, a lot of times music makes or breaks a film. The soundtrack on this one was just amazing. Uh, it can't rain all the time is, you know, mm. probably on a, on a heavy rotation for me, but, I remember, and 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 I guess this is part of it, but I remember meeting James not too long uh, after Brandon's death, and I had this um, this amazing picture of him with his arms out, with Brandon's arms out, and he's got the guitar slung, and I just remember having wanting him to sign that and sign the trade paperback version, and he just sat there, and you could just see he was still consumed you know, with, with grief because they had become friends right? Sure. because, you know, on the set and talking about the movie, because he wanted to be very faithful to the spirit of it. And, uh, oh man, I mean, that just, that's always stuck with me and it's, you know, it's great, but I don't watch it on heavy rotation. I think it's a little heavy, um, because there's too much reality in knowing that, you know, he dies and that there's some scenes it's not even him. You know, uh, but I thought that that first Crow movie was wonderfully adapted. And uh, that's got to be my number four. Love it. That is it. And again, that's another one of those movies that people, everybody has an opinion one way or the other. Like if you've seen it, you either love it or you don't at all. You know, nobody's like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I don't think I've literally, I don't think I've ever met anyone who was like, oh, no, that movie sucks. But you have. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. And, and not even, I don't even know if it's like that that was a bad movie. It was just that they didn't like it, maybe because it's dark, because, you know, the, because of the and way. Violence. It, Oof. 
Yeah. So I don't know, you know, never had an in-depth enough conversation to know if they just thought it was a bad movie or if they just were like, I don't like that movie, which I think yeah. is two different things, right? It is. It is. You can appreciate something for what it is and then go, yeah, but it just wasn't for me. Yeah. Uh, High School Musical. Perfect example, you know, um, horrible movie. And, um, oh, wait, no, that's not the same thing. Anyway, say it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh, my God. I love it so much. (laughs) All right. So we have now come to your number three choice. And if we match authors again, I'm going to do a little jig. I think there's very little chance we're going to match authors here. Okay. Uh, but High School Musical is a great segue into my number three, <laughs> um, which is the Walking, so scared. Dead, the Walking Dead by Robert Kirkman and Charlie Adlard and the rest of that crew. Oh, God. Uh, and this is a controversial. I know this is getting ready to get very, very controversial. Not in my heart. Okay. All right. Good. Because um, I could, I was okay with you on the Watchmen thing, but if you fought me on this, we might mm-hmm. find a way to get through the screen. I... Now, first of all, and I've said this here, I'm on record many times, I'm a sucker for the end of the world. And if the end of the world involves zombies, I am, I'm there. Uh, I'm I'm in it. <laughs> I love all things zombie. And so um, I had been reading The Walking Dead as a comic before the AMC show came out. And I cannot tell you how geeked I was to find out they were adapting uh, The Walking Dead into a TV show. And while I am willing to admit there are things about the show that aren't great, it does lag sometimes. And there's some interesting choices that get made. I loved it from the very beginning to the very end. And I was with it from the very beginning to the very end. I wrote out, you know, season two on the farm. Like I, (laughs) I, I was in the whole way because I just, one, I I knew where they were going, so I think that helped because I had some idea of what happens in the comics, and even there's lots of differences, and I'll get into that in a second. I also knew some of what was going to show up. So in season two, when things aren't great, I knew Negan was coming. Yeah. At some point down the road, the governor and Negan and the whispers, you know, that stuff's going to show up, and I wanted to see it. I wanted to see how they did it. Um, I knew the characters that were going to show up, and um, you know how to eat your vegetables to get your ice cream. That's it. That's it. I mean, you got to just kind of endure. Um, and and then we get Abraham and Eugene and 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 Princess. I mean, all these people that show up in the middle and, and late in the show. Um, and and I, you know, it I think The Walking Dead shows um demonstrates the difficulty of adapting such a massive set of source material. I mean, there's 193 issues of the comic. Right. So you can't get everything in. And there are some things in the the comic that you you want to keep but then there's a lot that just you can't right because you can't do everything but you also then had to make decisions and i think when you look at some of the things they did daryl dixon uh, for those of you that know the show daryl dixon is not a thing in the comics not at all and he's you know made it to the end and got his own show coming right i mean he became kind of the centerpiece of what went on especially after they made the decision to quote unquote, kill off Rick Grimes, which they didn't really. Um, But they had, you know, there was a plan and a thing that went on there too. So you have these decisions that are very different, right? In the comics, Carl doesn't die. Carl dies in the show. But you also have some things they did that were shot for shot from panels from the comic 
and they are incredible. The first episode is like a moving comic. Yeah. Yeah. And all the way through, you have these moments um, when, when Negan kills Glenn. I mean, it is exactly, they took great pains, no pun intended, to, <laughs> to make that look like it looked on the page. Yes, they um, did. The whisperers, you know, when when Alpha takes out a bunch of people and puts them on spikes on the hill, that is shot for shot. Now the heads are it's a different set of people, but it's shot for shot, beat for beat from from the page. So I I think again it's not perfect. There's there's struggles with it. It ended differently because it had to because they're trying to do this expanded universe thing and mm -hmm. and move people off in different directions. But um. I, I think it's a masterclass in in what to do, and it also has some moments of what not to do. But for somebody who just loves zombie stuff and who really, really love the comic, and I know there's some people who love the comics that didn't like the show, but man, I am I am in on both. I I think again, this goes back to the conversation of you have to appreciate them for what they are and recognize they are separate things created out of the same kind of source material. And man, I I was in all the way. Okay, I'm going to take a breath before I talk to you. <laughs> I cannot agree with you more. I think that these are two things that have to be taken on their individual merits. Yeah. The comic is an amazing comic, especially in black and white. Yes. What Kirkman yeah. did with Word and Charlie Adler did with, with, with this pen were fantastic. Okay. And so the, when here comes the TV series and we start seeing them for the very first episode, all of these things that are just, I mean, literally they just took the comic and cut it up and made it into a storyboard for that first episode. That's what it felt like. And then we go on along and we meet Merle and we're like, Oh dude, he loses the hand. Oh dude, he's going to be the governor. Nope. You know, and we, you know, they bring in this new character and you're like, well, who the hell is this guy? He wasn't even, and just <laughs> takes off. Shout out to my friend, Leah Perrin. She loves Daryl. Uh, I literally, he was doing that show where he was riding around on his motorcycle, eating at different places. He came to Lafayette. She stalked. Oh. Uh, I mean, she found where he was and went to, went to see and got a hug from him. Uh, awesome. She loves him, loves him. But anyway. So you can read the comic book like you were saying, and you know, okay, I got to get through this part because this got to be coming. And right. even though people were killed in different ways and some people weren't killed and some people were that weren't. And like you say, and all these different things, you can't sit there and compare the two, but it is a, a wonderful adaptation of that original source material and instead of just taking that and putting it to the screen except for the first episode it's okay here's the world that we're in and we give right. you 190 like 193 issues over here to enjoy and then you could see some of those same people over here it's like one of those choose your own adventure books they made a different choice and things turned out differently and i think a lot of it turned out really wonderful and we cannot not talk about the fact that while kirkman was writing this he was also writing invincible right yeah. which is in a completely different world completely yeah, different story and it's just as freaking amazing as The Walking Dead is. Yep. You know, and that adaptation didn't even make it 
to my list because while I think it's wonderful, it's so fresh and new, and I just need a lot more of it to know how wonderful it's going to be. But I, I don't even want to talk to it. But it, it's, it blows my mind to think that every month or hereabouts every month, two, the, the two issues were coming out from that same wonderful pencil or typewriter, whatever he used, stenograph, whatever. And these two amazing stories were coming out one after the other. Uh, it's you know it 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 blows my mind but but i cannot well i can disagree with you just because i can be ornery at sometimes but i won't because that was that was a i wouldn't mean it and that was a that's a wonderful pick that was i was on my short list it was probably if i had a list of 10 it would be on that list the show would be four hours long you'd be four hours long yes (laughs) well speaking of what's your number three jamie well, my number three is Robert Kirkman's The Invincible. No, it's not. <laughs> Mine is actually based off of a short story or a novella, depending upon what your count is, from the amazing Clive Barker. The original story released in, geez, um, how long ago was that? That was like 86 as part of the novella. Now, this is just, I mean, this is some origin here. The third volume of the Night Visions anthology set, he released The Hellbound Heart. Of course, you know, that, that book is worth some bank right now. Right. But we get the story of a hedonist criminal who finds a box and when he solves the puzzle of the box, we get these creatures called Cinnabites who have no real difference between pain and pleasure. And he is going to be taken over by them, but he manages to escape. And it's just, it's, it's an amazing, immersive, just fantastic world where even quote unquote the innocent um will have to suffer the judgment and the pains and not so you take that story uh which by the way had a female pinhead in it not a male like yeah right. which is yeah which you know the hulu i just watched the hulu movie and they turned it back around to the original and then they they turn it into this low budget it, it's it's it is literally a study in what to do with a little bit of money. So many practical effects. You've got right. Andrew Robinson who just, he's such a naive, innocent dad. No ideas. What a horrible, horrible wife and brother he has. And then these Cenobites show up and they're not even, they're not even called like, he's not even called pinhead at the time. You know, it's, I think he's called like the head Cenobite or something like that. It's it, it was nuts. But to take that and then expand on it, and now there's what thirty six sequels, I think thirty seven. I, I don't know exactly how many. It was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember, and it, it's really what started me on the world of of Clive Barker. Oh, because yeah. after that, I started getting all of his. Uh, you know, Hellbound Heart books, uh, Books of Blood came out after that, and then Imagica and so many other novels. But that very first one, I remember when I saw 
the movie. I was just, I was blown away because I mean, there's that scene where all the hooks go into him and, you know, pull him apart. And I remember seeing that at that part where he goes, you know, Jesus wept. And then he gets pulled apart. It's not in the book. It's not in the script. As a matter of fact, Andrew Robinson went to Clive on the side and said, Hey, how about I say this instead? Because I think he was like a curse or something. And he was like, sure, go for it. And they did it. And I was like, yep, cut. That's That's staying in the movie. You know? So that is a movie that I'll actually have on rotation as well. And I'll watch it and part two. And then sometimes part three with just, uh, it's, it's interesting because the, the deeper you go into it, the more they, they get into the Lamont configuration and that whole world of the puzzle box. And I mean, they have the freaking puzzle box in space and, you know, right. all these different things, but uh, <laughs> I actually just finished doing a whole thing about Hellraiser with somebody. But anyway, uh, the movie I thought was, while not necessarily a very faithful adaptation, they took the core ideas and made it into a very, very enjoyable horror movie. And I've got to choose it. And it's got to stay on my list. And I don't really care what you say. I will fight you. If you don't like this movie, <laughs> I know I, I remember seeing this for the first time and just being, cause it was just being blown away because it was different mm-hmm. than a lot of what was going on in horror at the time. And, you know, cause this was, if I'm remembering right, the same time, you know, you've got Jason running around and you've got Michael Myers. And so you have these horror movies that are really kind of centered around lashers mm-hmm. yeah, centered around a, a villain that's, that's doing this kind of stuff. And this was something so different, but at the same time, just so incredibly effective and creepy and scary and, you know, all the things that you're going to that kind of movie for. Um, and I didn't interact with the the short story until much, 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 much later. Mm-hmm. But just the the world that's created there and the way they did it, I that's a fantastic pick. I think that's a oh that's a well, wild thank movie. you. So while we're on that subject, have you read much of his stuff? I haven't read a ton. Um, no. I, you know, like you, I read two or three more after reading the short story, and it's man, it's been years and years and years. But I, I haven't read a ton of him. Yeah, I I have. Um, and I mean, I was a voracious reader. You know, at point, um, so much stuff that he introduced me to. And I was at an age where I was in 80, I was 16, 17, 18, starting to read this stuff. And so it was kind of opening me up to a larger world out there. What was it called? Weave World. Amazing example of just bringing all these stories together and literally threading them all together. I just love, love, love his work. He did a, back in the late, early 90s, he did a, a gallery showing in New York. And I, called the gallery and I was like, look, there's no way I can get there, but could I buy a print? Cause he was there to autograph them. Okay. And so I bought two prints and when it showed up, it was the two prints signed and they sent me a, um, what do you call them? Like the little catalogs from, from the gallery. And he yeah. signed the front cover of that. And then cool. he sent me like two or three different, uh, book stickers that go, that he signed as well. And I was like, Oh my God, this was so, you know, it's just so amazing. Yeah. And those are, those are some real treasures for me. But, um, anyway, that's, awesome. that's my love for Clive Barker. 
um, which I would be hard put to pick between him and Stephen King, because as much as I love Stephen King's work, he's he's not a amazing closer. That's fair. Yeah, you know, but but hell, the ride, Whew. the ride's <laughs> worth it. You know, so right. Right. We've talked about the cell, right? How I, when I yeah, give yeah. that book out to people, yeah, I thought so. So anyway, <clears throat> all right. So we are now at the point where I get to use my $5 word and oh. ask you, what is your penultimate choice? So before I get to my penultimate choice, I'm going to do to you what you always do to me. What? And I'm going to ask you a question that you are not prepared for. What? I don't do that Every single time. I Go back so don't. Do, okay. Yeah, I do. All right. So here's, here's my question for you related to what we're talking about. What book that has not yet been adapted, would you love to see an adaptation of? Okay. So first of all, I would like to answer that with a slightly different question. Okay. I would like to see what book would I like to see adapted correctly? Would be my. It's going to be the first one. I'll give you the other one, okay. but I'm I'm stalling. Okay, I'll give you this. I know what you're but, doing. Okay, but the first one would be I would like to see World War Z. Yes, please. As a series, yes, please. And you actually get all of the stories that are going on. One hundred percent in agreement. Okay, I worship at the altar of Max Brooks. It awesome. blows me away that he is Mel Brooks's son. And the the way that he writes and reads, okay, because that audiobook, that audiobook is on heavy rotation when Crazy I was doing good. it. Crazy good. You know the part where the female pilot gets shot down and she goes into the swamps and has to make her way. I swear Max Brooks must have driven down between Lafayette and Baton Rouge. <laughs> and went off the inner. I'm not kidding. The way he describes it and the way that it's, it, you know, you feel it's amazing. And I love, I love, love driving from one place to the other with somebody who's never heard it. And I'll put okay. it on, you know, and it's just so that's that's one answer is I would like to see it done right. No offense to the guys. Uh, they made a great, look, fun, a fun uh, zombie movie. movie. Just not World War Z. It is not World War Z at all. I will tell you, there's every possibility that Max Brooks did exactly what you described. Because if you ever listen to him talk about his process, mm -hmm. he's writing, the things he does are off the charts. So have you read his uh, his newest book, Devolution? I haven't yet, but I've I've been Read. told I should. So one you think the, you may have even told me that. I think we talked about this before. Yeah. But one of the things he um you know they have to fashion weapons from whatever's around and he actually went into his garage and started pulling stuff out and created all these weapons and so he um was interviewed on a podcast called the Writing Community Chat Show. Shout out to that one. Um and in his study where he's interviewing the weapons that he built are behind him hanging on the wall. No way. That kind of dude. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, okay. Have you stalled long enough? I have. And and this answer is also going to be probably not exactly. If you, if you want to task me, you can tell me that this is not good enough. Okay. And I will come up with a third movie. I'll never do it. Okay. 
But there is a series of novels that were written by John Sanford. They're called the, the Prey Novels. And they did a TV movie with Eric LaSalle from ER. I remember this. Yeah. Okay. And I have it on, on VHS somewhere. I recorded it because I was so excited to see it. And it so was not good. <laughs> and no offense. Cause, cause you know, I'm just happy that it got to the screen because right. Eric LaSalle loved it. And that he's pushed and he was behind. I think he was like, you know, a producer on it and, you know, probably took next to nothing, you know, to do it. But I just, I would love to see that done in a way that was really true to the book because I didn't feel like the detective was like he was portrayed in the book. Well, you know, and I think and, that one's really hard to do because those books are dark. Yes, they are. And the first one is really good because you get you get um you get his point of view. And then in the first book, Rules of Prey, which is an amazing book because it literally every time he kills somebody, he leaves a rule. Like, don't use the same weapon twice, don't kill somebody you know. So halfway through the book, it switches and you get they call him the mad dog. You get the mad dog's point of view. Yeah. And so now you're like waiting for them to come together and come together. And then they, they do come together. And I mean, it's, it's an amazing, amazing book series. And it goes on for quite a while. And I've met him before. I drove like seven hours once to go see him at a signing. And I like stack and he signed every one of them. He, I had like a series of like questions. He answered all of them. So it's wonderful. Wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've waited long enough. I've stalled long enough. I will tell you, it would probably have to be the book. I'll put it here called Kobayashi Maru that we, we talked about. We have talked about. I thought that would be a cool movie where, and you could do it in a two hour movie, probably where, you know, you're seeing these little vignettes from when they were younger. It's hard to do. I don't know how you do it now. But this is a fantasy world, and so that's my fantasy choice. I would love to see Julie Eklar's uh, The Kobayashi Maru as a movie. Nice. Final answer, lock it in. I'll take it. That's good stuff. All right. Well, what would yours be then? Uh, dude, I've got a list. Well, um, give me, should be easy to give me one then. Not surprising at all. Um, one of them that's actually being done is a series of novels by John Scalzi called Old Man's War. Okay. Uh, they're actually working on that one right now. So wish fulfillment is happening even as we speak. <laughs> there's another, there's a standalone book again by John Scalzi called the Kaiju Preservation Society. Oh, and it is awesome. It okay. Is, Scalzi is so fun. He's got a sense of humor about everything he does, but this Kaiju, Preser- Kaiju Preservation Society posits a world where an alternate dimension has been found that we can go back and forth between that is essentially ruled by Kaiju. Okay. God bless you. Those kinds of, thank you. Those kinds of monsters. And the, um, and so you have, and it's not like, oh, look, there's Godzilla. Oh, look, there's Rodan. It's versions of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But he's developed an entire biology, like how these things actually could live and run and what they would eat and how they would operate. And then you have humans kind of getting into this world, um, 
initially for research, but then ultimately, you know, the bad guys come in and you have all this kind of stuff. But the book is a blast. And more than anything, I just want to see the monsters show up on the screen. Yeah. I yeah. grew up Sunday afternoons watching Godzilla take on everybody. And I so I'm a sucker for kaiju. I, so I'd love to see Kaiju Preservation Society. And I think I've heard somebody's optioned it. So again, maybe someday I will see what I want to see on the screen. Oh, awesome. That's that a good one. So good. Check did that you, one out. Did you watch Ultraman when you were when oh, you were young? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's do Saturday morning, like 6 a.m. It was on. We were up there. Pssst, yes. Okay, well then let's all of that to say yeah, all of that to say what is your penultimate choice? And haha, ha, you didn't put me on too hard of a spot. Okay, well good. <sighs> I didn't want you to cry or anything. You've got one in your pocket though, I know. I might. Yeah. Uh, so my second uh second book um adaptation is Children of Men by PD James. This is um so Children of Men, very quickly, and we've talked about my love for all things dystopian and, and broken, um, which probably says something about me that I'm not comfortable with. <laughs> um, but Children of Men is a world where people have stopped being able to have children. Hmm. And so then the book gets into a lot of the uh, religious and ethical and social implications of a world where you know you are the last generation. So the problem of you know, what does that do to hope? What does that do to creativity? What does that do to innovation? Because what's the point anymore, right? Right. Um, and so the, the book goes down some of those roads. The film, um, which was directed by Alfonso Cuaron, is, it takes kind of one piece of that. So into this world where uh, children, a child has not been born in 18 years, wow. a woman shows up pregnant. Mm-hmm. And has to be. I was out of town that weekend. I'm just saying. Yeah. So when you, um, and and is taken in by this guy who kind of finds himself tasked with protecting her and getting her to this ship that's out in the harbor, um, where they're trying to investigate and figure out what's going on, and they're doing research, but they also want to protect her. But at the mm-hmm. same time, there are um, government kind of authorities that want to use her for their own devices. And there's a civil war that's broken out because everybody's just kind of sick of everything. And so the, the movie really focuses on this rescue and kind of protecting and getting her to the ship. The book's got a lot more to it than that. But what I love about this, this adaptation is even though it doesn't take the full book into account, the way that Quran shoots this movie is off the charts. Good. He is famous for like these really long tracking shots. And there's a couple of moments in the movie. One is in a, the whole scene takes place in and around a car that's been ambushed. And so you've got bullets flying, you've got people running down, you've got rocks and logs and all this kind of stuff. And it's about four minutes in a single shot. Wow. The cameras and one of the extras on the DVD shows how they did it and the way that like some of the seats would fly back at a second so the camera could go around that person to keep shooting. And it's just so cool the way that it's put together. Um, But the end of the movie is a six-minute tracking shot where he is helping her through a war zone. And you have every imaginable military thing going on. You've got tanks, you've got stuff exploding, and you've got bullets flying. You've got animals that wander through. And it's it's one long shot, and it is it's haunting. It is um, 
but at the same time, hopeful, you know, there's, there's moments where people realize, cause at this point she's had the baby. So they're going through this, this, um, war zone with a child who starts crying and it's been oh. eight years since anybody heard a baby cry. Right. And wow, so that's powerful. All of this shows up. Um, and it's just, it's beautiful. It's haunting. It's chilling. Um, but at the same time, it's just so meaningful and hopeful because, in this world that all hope has been abandoned because once we're done, that's it. Suddenly there's hope yeah. and there's this life and there's this opportunity. It's a fantastic book. I think this is another one where the film is different. Um, but I would say if you had to choose, read the book or watch the movie, watch the movie. Really? Yeah. I, I just because of the way that, that it's, it's shot and the way it's put together, it's just so good. But I obviously would recommend both. I think, um, and it's interesting because this is not the kind of book that PD James typically writes, mm-hmm. uh, but she wrote this one and, and I'm just glad that she had this story, whatever it looked like. Wow. That's a, uh, it's a good one. That's a good one, man. I've seen. No, I, okay. I own the movie on HD DVD. Okay. That goes to show you. So right. I haven't watched it though. I do have an HD DVD player. In the man cave, dude, you know, I've just, I read uh, so such a problem, but anyway, uh, I, uh, I would like to watch it because it does look very cool. It kind of, uh, when I started reading why the last man, the comic book series, it, it made me think of that movie and kind of like the, the, the flop side of it. So let me ask you this. Does the, does the movie have a wrap up or is it just the one kid and it kind of ends? It it ends with them going off to the ship and we don't really know what happens after that. Ah, okay. Okay. Cool. Well, I like that one. That's a great choice. Haven't seen it, but I guess I'll have to go outside and set up the HD. (laughs) You need to check that one out. (laughs) All right. What's your number two? Well, my number two is, is a favorite is a book that we've actually talked about. So I don't, I don't think you'll be very surprised that my number two is odd Thomas. Saw okay. it coming. Yeah, yeah, I figured because it is a wonderful adaptation of it. I thought that Anton Yelchin, again, you know, you're watching this movie knowing that this guy died like not long after. I mean, I don't think he made another movie. I could be wrong, but so you're watching what is his last performance, basically, and he is so vulnerable in this this role, just like uh, Thomas. Now he doesn't look like my mind wrapped around him. Okay. And that's fine. You know, it doesn't, you you can't necessarily do that, but all of the people in this movie with the exception of, they left out the, the rather rotund, um, uh, rich friend of his, which I did think every time I thought I read him, I was thinking of the friend from Pee Wee's big adventure, that that Haiti, I always just kind of got that that look to <laughs> yes, him. That's but, amazing. Yeah, I just I thought it was so amazing, and I kept waiting to be disappointed because there are so many things. The room, the the black room, I had no idea how you could do that in right. in a, in a movie. You know, it just didn't make any sense to me. And they they did not finger of God that movie. That scene was different, right? But 
it was still fantastically done. And I loved William Defoe as the the police chief again. Not at all what I was kind of thinking of a what was his name Bo from uh, the dad from Gremlins. Um, that's okay. yeah. what I had in my mind, you know. But little Addison uh, Timlin as Brownie, she was amazing, you know. So it's such I find it such a good movie, and I don't see that a lot of horror people talk about it. Um, and I don't know why. Because I think not only I think the book is fantastic, I think the movie is fantastic, which just goes to show you how my number one is going to be a tough well, one. You're because huge you know how much I love Aunt yeah. Thomas. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's going to be my number two choice. What, no, that's interesting well, because the um, the the point you're making about horror fans, I don't know that people think of Odd Thomas as horror. Yeah, I. You okay, talk I to the dad. You've got these spirits that come right. through, and I mean, you've got a lot of horror elements in it. But I think there's so much. No, I agree with you, but I think there's so that the definition of what that is now. Mm-hmm. I almost think there's a a dichotomy that's been created between ghost stories and horror. Um, at least ghost stories that aren't, you know, the Conjuring or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff, where yeah. it, it's got that also the kind of gory side to it. Um, which just, is missing. Wonder, yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if when people think of, you know, they might think of Dean Koontz when they think of horror, but not in the same way they would think about a Stephen King or Clive Barker or some of these others, Paul mm-hmm. Tremblay, because just the things that they write about are more how we define horror now, as opposed to ghost stories like Odd Thomas. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Maybe I should be calling this a, a, a ghost story. You know, a ghost story with an action ending type thing. Yeah. And I mean, we're know? splitting hairs at that point, but I think that might be why when people think about horror movies, horror films, horror books, that it doesn't come up on the conversation. You know, you're pretty good at that. You should consider, you know, doing more with books. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Ebookcast.com. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> plug given. Plug, plug. All right. So we're now to our number one choices. Do yeah. you want to try to stump me again? I'm leaving it open. I don't know that I'll stump you with this because you probably have a quick answer, but I would be interested to hear what it is. Okay. What's an adaptation that you hate? Where do I begin? It, right. See, I knew there'd be an answer. <laughs> um, Probably one of the worst adaptations in my mind has everything to do with technology at the time. It's got to be Lawnmower Man. Interesting. From- yeah, from Stephen King. Oh, by the way, uh, from a Buick Eight would make a good, a great movie too. Oh yeah, I thought that was that's oh. interesting. Um, I just, I don't. They should not have made that movie at that time. They should have done a George, um, George Lucas, and gone. You know what? The technology's not here yet. I'm going to go ahead and shelf this and let's do something else. Uh it's just it's just bad. And I love me some Jeff Fahey. Let me tell you, you know, Body Bags is one of my favorite okay. movies that's out there. Okay, I don't know if you've ever seen that one. It's bad. <laughs> I haven't watched it. Yeah, it's it's bad, but I love it. But anyway, they should have said, "Yeah, let's let's not do this right now and and move out because it's just so hard." Even at the time when it was like, "Ooh, wow!" Up on the screen, it looked it was bad. Cheap. Yeah, and then and then to follow it up with Lawnmower Man two. Um, I don't know if you ever have heard the story, but um, my wife got a free pass 
for every horror movie ever after we she sat through that film. <laughs> and rightly so, she deserved it because that yeah. was a tough movie. That was a very tough movie. Um, what about you? Uh, again, where do I even begin? I when I, I thought of this question, I thought of two, and one maybe not completely fair. Um, one of the only movies I've ever left angry was the original Suicide Squad movie. Oh, okay. Which in, won't even get it, but the the one that I think is the the top, maybe the worst, not just the worst adaptation ever made, possibly one of the worst films ever made. Ten Commandments. Yep. Stop yep. it. Is <laughs> we let's make very clear we can tell who voices who's on this. Um is Battlefield Earth. Oh God. Hubbard book that John Travolta like, you know, yeah. So I read that book in high school and had no idea who L. Ron Hubbard was. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is kind of cool because it's, again, you know, rising up and the end of the world. The aliens are here and this kind of stuff. And it's a doorstop. I mean, it's another, you know, 1200 page book. Yeah. Then the movie happens. And I'm telling you, that's about as bad as it gets. Mm-hmm. That that makes Lawnmower Man look like the Ten Commandments. Like, <laughs> you know, it was so bad. The CGI is awful. The performances are awful. N- just nothing works in that movie. And I just remember being not so much angry at that one. It was just sad. Yeah, Travolta's <laughs> hair was amazing in I'm that mad. movie, though. I'm just disappointed. Like it was, it was that kind of thing. So yeah, Battlefield Earth. It's like your kid who took exactly t- 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 right. twenty bucks. Yeah, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Just disappointed. <laughs> there you go wow so that's a tough question for me because you know i don't like to talk about things that i don't like right that's why Uh, i I try to say yeah exactly so so that is that is a tough one um i'm sure uh, i know there's got to be more but you know not to argue your point but i find myself not getting so mad at comic book adaptions anymore especially something like Suicide Squad, just because there have been so many different iterations of it. And it's like, what's the story this time? Okay, well, they pulled this from there, and they pulled this from there, and they pulled this from out their butt, and here's the movie, okay? So I'm just like, eh, whatever. Let's watch it. Oh, look, it's I think another Joker. The reason I was angry about it was not storyline, because I don't know that sequence. Oh, okay. I was angry about it because it just was a really bad movie and it promised to be something else. And so, you know, I'm, I'm into the team up kind of things. And I love the concept of the bad guys are going to kind of be good, but they're still going to be who they like. I There's all of that. I'm in. Mm-hmm. And almost from the very opening of that movie, I was like, this is awful. Wow. Yeah, now again, I mean, yeah. all this is subjective. We talk about this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I remember sitting there thinking, I, have been like so let down by these people and yeah. not delivered. And you know, if you know the backstory of that movie and all the mess and how it got mm-hmm. made, basically it was recut by the people that did the trailer that everybody loved. Uh, but then what we found out was that those people were really good at cutting trailers <laughs> and not making movies. But they well, redeemed themselves because the Suicide Squad is great. Oh yeah, I mean, it, who knew that adding those three letters would just make a Sometimes, much better movie? That's all you need. It's all you need. So <laughs> most of the time I just get two letters. But anyway, I think now we can get to your favorite book, comic book, 
coloring book, color by number, choose your own adventure book adaptation. Lay it on me. I love this book. And when the movie happened, it's one of those, I was like, please don't screw this up. Please don't screw this up. And I love the movie every bit as much as I love the book. The book is by an actual rocket scientist. Uh, NASA rocket scientist wrote a book about what would happen if a man got stranded on Mars and had to survive for a while. Uh-huh. It's The Martian by Andy Weir. That's a great one. I, I'm telling I love, and it's like, my nerdy heart is is growing three sizes even just talking about this <laughs> i'm i'm a big science guy i love we talked about i love hard science fiction this is that because it's written by an actual rocket scientist and so the 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 short kickoff um astronaut named mark watley um is with a group that is on mars doing some research they have to leave in the middle of a storm um something happens and they think that watley has been killed and so they leave without him and then he wakes up on Mars by himself. Now, does his transporter clone go on the other ship? Not how that works. Okay. Different, different multiverse. Sorry. Um, it's fine. It's so confusing. Um, but he he wakes up on Mars and realizes very quickly, I'm here by myself. And not only uh, is there um, the problem of, you know, how do I survive, but like, no one can come get me. It's not right. like you call Uber and they're going to be there, right? Um, Mars is a long way from Earth. And so the whole book is really just about him solving problems to stay alive. Mm -hmm. And you would think, and this is why I'm like, don't screw this up, don't screw this up. That might be hard to do in film. But Ridley Scott directed it. Um, Matt Damon is, is Mark Watley, other like Jeff Daniels is in it. Kristen Wiggs in it, Donald Glover's in it. Um, but the, the way that they show his problem solving process, the way that they show, um, just kind of his internal dialogue, because a lot of a book like that, I mean, it's like castaway, right? It's sure. one guy by himself doing the thing and they, they have him do these journals that he's just recording, but every step of the process of, of how he is surviving and then manages to communicate back with Earth and, hey, I'm still here, which then sets up a whole separate set of problem solving as to how do we go get this guy? Right. You know, what's the plan? How are we going to make this happen? And it, it could so easily turn into this boring thing of, oh, look, he's walking around on red sand again. And it just doesn't. Um, you know, the book does a great job of getting into this is how you could solve this problem, but this is what might happen if you solve it this way. Okay. And so you run into consequences and you run into the bad things that can happen sometimes. Uh, but ultimately, it's a hero's journey to survive and then get to the place where he can be rescued. And spoiler alert, the um, the rescue sequence where he actually does get is just off the charts fun. Um, and it's it very faithful to the way that it's written. Oh, cool. Uh, the way that it's done is just super cool. But again, it's a book about solving problems. And in fact, at the end, um, Watley in the movie, he goes back and he's he's teaching future astronauts. And, and he says, if, if I can read this real quick, because I think this sums it up. He says, um, when you're confronted with whatever, you do the math, you solve one problem, then you solve the next and the next and the next. And if you solve enough of them, you get to come home. And oh. that's basically the book, but it's also just a great, 
lesson for life, right? Of, of how to survive and, and move forward. That's how but I yeah, get through work. That's how all of us get through every day, right? Um, but yeah, The Martian, and and this is one you have to do both. And I would say read the book first okay. because it just really does give you a massive appreciation for the intricacies and the technicalities of what then you're going to see him do in the film. Cool. Man, love that. Love it. Love that. Well, I have to like toot my own horn, even though I had absolutely nothing to do with it. My uncle's partner is also a rocket scientist. Oh, yeah. He had a, um, I don't know, science experiment or whatever on the very last shuttle. And and he and my uncle got to go to the landing and literally take his stuff off of the space. How cool is that? Good stuff. So I tell everybody, yeah, he's a rocket scientist. That's awesome. And I'm a rocket surgeon. So, you know, nerdy guy is talking science. (laughs) Okay. I, okay. My number one is the sequel to a book that I talked about in our last episode. Okay. I'm going to see if I could recreate it. And if not, I'm going to take the sound and write it over here and it will sound like I'm doing it. So, see if you can guess what the book is. I I have no idea what just happened. That was a nice Chianti uh, with my father beads. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to definitely have to find that on YouTube. Um, Silence of the Lambs by Thomas Harris. So good. As, as much as I love Red Dragon and the world that he creates in there, I love what they did with Silence of the Lambs. Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling is freaking amazing. So many of the scenes that they bring to life are just right on. Okay. I mean, so perfect. The scene where she's, uh, where they pull the, the floater out and she's like in Georgia and she's in the room with all the big guys and, I mean, it's like the book comes to life in front of you. I I didn't have a real picture of Clarice when I read the book, but if I did, Jodie Foster would have done a perfect job of it. Yeah, I agree with that. I love the fact that there are so many different things in the, the movie. I love the fact that Chris Isaac is a SWAT commander, that George Romero is a janitor. Roger Corman is the FBI director. It's, you know, all of these little people that I love, loved this book so much that they wanted to have a small part inside it. Yeah. And uh, this is another movie. I mean, I've got this movie on DVD, on Laserdisc, on VHS. You know, I can watch it so many different ways. I have a first edition of the book. That I got when it, you know, right back when it came out, I was working, I think I was working in the bookstores at that time. Uh, if not, either. but um, stupid me went through a period where I thought it would be cool to have all of the books without their covers, like on the shelf. I know, don't make that face at me. Um, and so somewhere along the lines, the the book cover got messed up. So I haven't, you know, I can, I know I can go, go and buy like a third edition or whatever and, and put that, going, but it's knowing that I don't have any yeah, so vampire less stats the same way, you know? So I think it was a hurricane that we got a bunch of water in and it, it, it got to them. But anyway, silence of the lambs by Thomas Harris, you know, just, it's a fantastic film. 
Uh, definitely not a film for the whole family. Right. Um, <laughs> I love Ted Levine uh, as Buffalo Bill. This roomy uh, friend, Catherine Martin. <laughs> I just, I just love it. I just love so much about it. Um, yeah, and but, it's it's one that um, you you talk about. We were talking about Odd Thomas and not necessarily being considered horror. This. I think sometimes what gets forgotten about movies like this when it's not for everybody, right? And you've got to kind of be aware that this is a, well, it's got some things that are kind of hard to watch, but it can still be an outstanding film, right? The, just the movie itself. I think seven is the same way, right? Oh, that, yeah. You know, it's not for everybody, but man, if you just watch this as a movie, even if you, are squeamish about some of the things that go on. If you just watch it as a film, you can't help but appreciate it. Yeah. I like it, but you've, you've got to recognize it for what it is. And, you know, and you, you sit back and you look at all of the people and the performances that they gave in this, yeah. this movie. And you look at the director, Jonathan Demi, yeah. and you know, this is the same guy who did Piranha and, uh, <laughs> and Gremlins. So it's just amazing you know, you you start off with that incredible source material and you fill it with all of these incredibly talented actors. It's it's and of course it happens a lot, but it you almost couldn't fail. And right. they right. so did not. That scene when Hannibal it gets out of the cage and he's got Charles, I think it's Charles Napier, um handcuffed and he just he has the 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 music going and he he's using the baton as a baton but also as a baton is she's so many many different scenes jump to your mind from that movie uh it it just it had to be my number one that's awesome that's a good one well thank you i appreciate it your opinion means a lot to me you said that with a great deal of sincerity. Well done. Thank you. I have been practicing <laughs> since we talked last. <laughs> no, it does. You, you know, you, you know, your books. That's, you know, there's absolutely no doubt of that. Um, I, I wish I read as much as you did. I would like to task you to ask you a question. Okay. Have you ever read The White Plague by James Herbert? Yes. Gosh. Okay. Long time since the well, the, it came out back in the eighties. Yeah, if I yeah. could change my answer or add to my answer, that would also make a good yeah. season of a show. Yeah, the you know the way, and I don't think that would that's not, and it's your post-apocalyptic type thing too. You know, right. that's uh that's a great story. Oh, I would also like to say Lucifer's Hammer. Thank you, Jerry Purnell and um Larry Niven. Yes. Yes. Did you know there was a comic book that I did came out that. for that? For two, it that. gave two issues. I, I have them both, and they're both signed now by um, Larry. That's very cool. So, yes, you may worship. Uh, I probably won't, but <laughs> man, I love that book. I love that book so much. I just I wanted to buy copies of the Firefox books and wrap them in wax and just hide them somewhere at some point just just to do it because oh it's such a great book oh yeah wow dude and so much fun we've talked about a lot of books tonight a lot of books it's almost like we could do this once a month uh if you know we didn't have other things going other on. Other things to do. 
yeah yeah um i'm i'm really starting to strong arm you to get you to to do a show i, know. I, don't, I don't know I what it I is told you it's gonna happen yeah, yeah it is all right all right, all right. just People wait for christmas yeah just hang on yeah yeah <laughs> well this would normally be the part of the show where i ask you what we want to do next right and i i don't think we have anything planned yet do we no no by the two that we've done so and, i'm gonna put you yeah. on the spot oh gosh you have um one week okay to come up with a non book related okay day five list that you want to do i can do this okay can all right this. let me ask you a question do you like old radio shows uh i don't do a lot of old radio shows but okay. i don't know that i don't like them i've just never just never done them yeah okay okay just wondering i'm listening to an amazing new uh podcast series called the mysterious old radio listener society my son-in-law has told me about this Yes, they are amazing. Not only do they they play the episode and then they talk like the episodes are like 25, 30 minutes. Then they talk about 25, 30 minutes, which is just the right time that I'm sitting here saying now that we've hit the two hour mark. Um, just the right time for a podcast is, is an hour. But they also do live readings and recreations of them and oh, cool. all of this stuff. So I'm trying to uh, reach out to them that hopefully with this shout out, since they, I'm sure they're huge listeners of the show. Well, maybe I can get them on. Yeah. Who if is still awake? We've been at this for a little while. <laughs> we have been. <laughs> so you think of something right, and you it. get back with me in, within a week. Got it. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, I would like to thank all of you out there in the podcast universe for joining us for this long episode of Fave Five from Fans. You can find us and more just like it from the Plastic Microphone Studios wherever you catch a podcast. It would be a massive help if you could send me, I don't know, 50 bucks every month. I can give you the Fave Five, you know, podcast, whatever thing to do that with the computer and the interwebs. Um, if you like the show, you could consider telling a friend about us. And if you don't like the show, consider that guy who sits across from you on the bus and he gives you that eye when you're not looking at him. And then when he's not looking, he's looking at you. He's such a creep. Let him know about the episode. Maybe he'll hate it. I mean, and if he likes it, eh, it's another listener. And don't forget to look for our new show coming out that no one, no one asked me to do. Like, I don't have enough on the airway and listen for our sporadic copies of the complete disarray with jb ray where we take one topic and just go on and on and on and on about it just another product of the plastic microphone studios because no one demanded it and remember folks it may not be the best it may not be the most popular but if it's your favorite that it's good enough for us Thanks so much for joining us. Josimity, take us out. <laughs> I have no idea how you end things. So, hey, thanks for listening. Check out theokybookcast.com. We'll see you soon. And buy your book. And buy my book. Yeah, jhallwriter.com.